through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 24. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we got guys up that are going to bring you one right to your place, right to your seat, because we have a lot to cover this morning, and we're going to be making our way to quite a few different places in Scripture. Usually I throw the, the, the Scriptures up on the screen, but this morning... We're going to be turning, so maybe warm up your fingers a little bit before we get going, get them loose. And uh, turn to Matthew 24, and while you're turning to Matthew 24, turn also to 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll read our text from Matthew 24, then we'll uh, hop over to 1 Kings chapter 18. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' words starting in verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out, or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The title of my message this morning is The Coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege that you give to us to be able to gather in this place and to know, Lord God, that it's your desire to speak to our hearts. Lord, you want to show us something this morning, and so we need to be alert and attentive to all that you have for us. We thank you for the privilege and the freedom that we have to meet here in this place. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that is here that does not have a personal relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, or not born again yet, Father, would you especially touch their heart through your Holy Spirit, through your Word, that they would see their need for you and come to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the teachers downstairs who are ministering to our children. Bless them, Lord, as, as they are being taught your Word as well as we are upstairs. We give this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? Well, he's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. And it's addressed right here in Matthew chapter 24, really starting in verse 26. Now, in saying that, there are people out there, you know, that have so many bizarre ideas about Bible prophecy and specifically the returning of our Lord, and they'll try and twist the scriptures into fit what they wanted to say instead of letting the scriptures speak for themselves. Maybe you've heard of the story of a new pastor who was visiting members of his church and, and getting to know them. And one afternoon, he knocked on this woman's door, who was a member of the church, and and she didn't answer. And though he knew that she was home or someone was home because they could hear the TV on in the background. So he decided to leave her note and just stick it on the door there. It was his business card. And he just wrote on it, Revelation 3.20, which said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Well, the following Sunday, that woman came to the church and came up to the pastor and handed him a card with the note that was on it. 
And while it was written on the card with Genesis 3.10, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> Obviously, that is not what God intended, but they twisted the scriptures to fit their situation. And Yet Peter tells us, 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, Scriptures are not used for us to, uh, to, to, to use for our own opinions, but it's a revelation of the mind and the heart and the plan of God for us and His plan. So I say again, Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. And it's addressed right here through Jesus' own words. Now we know that these words were given while Jesus was there on the Mount of Olives. And that's why this is often called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is responding to three questions that his disciples uh, asked him. In verse 3, they asked him, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now those questions were asked because the disciples were showing Jesus the temple and how, how beautiful these stones were and massive these stones were. And, and Jesus says, well, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And the disciples, they were blown away by that statement. And I mean, they're looking at this magnificent Herod's temple. How could it be destroyed? And so they said, well, when will these things be? And in Luke chapter 21, Jesus uh, records, uh, we have that Luke records that answer to that first question. And he speaks of the armies coming and destroying Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But then Jesus answers the second and third question in Matthew 24. And he tells them there's going to be certain signs that lead up into his second coming. Signs to look for that when we see, we know that, that, that something big is about to happen. Something big is about to take place. That's why I want to take a look at 1 Kings chapter 18 now before we get back to Matthew chapter 24. 1 Kings chapter 18, if you turn there. Because it's there in 1 Kings, the prophet knew something very powerful was about to happen. Something monumental was about to take place. See, there'd been a famine in the land and a drought and it hadn't rained for about three years. It's been dried up and barren. And Elijah now knows something is about to happen. Look now at verse 41 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. Literally in the original language, look towards the horizon. So in verse 43, so he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Now this is interesting to me, comparing this to the Lord's return, that there are those among us today when you say, the Lord is coming back, there's signs, it seems, just look, can't you see the Lord's coming back? And they'll say, oh, there's nothing. You've been saying that for years. My grandma used to say that. And it's, it's nothing. You get your head out of the clouds. That something powerful is about to happen. In fact, Elijah had to tell him to go seven times. Look at verse 43. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud 
as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. The same thing is about to happen again. So it's not going to be heavy rain from, from heaven, but a heavy judgment that's coming. And it's about to pour down on planet Earth. And again, Jesus is telling us that it's heading our way. And he's saying, I'm telling you this in Matthew chapter 24, to protect you, to prepare you. You see, in 1 Kings 18, it did start to rain. Heavy clouds, wind, blackness took over and a heavy rain began to fall. And Ahab started riding and riding like he's never ridden before and he's heading towards Jezreel. But look now at verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I mean, did you catch this? Elijah is now running ahead of Ahab, who I might add was in a chariot. I mean, that's the hand of the Lord upon Elijah, allowing him to run like just super fear. Man, I'm going faster than this guy is. He just took off. Why? Because he's excited. More excited in his life than any other time because God was doing something amazing, something radical. And he couldn't wait to get out and start sharing with the people what was about to take place. Well, with that, turn with me now back to Matthew 24. 26 through 31 this morning. Matthew 24, we see here in this chapter something great's about to take place. It's the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And we see we need to be living like in the days of Elijah. Excited about what the Lord's doing. Excited about His return. Living in the power of His Holy Spirit. Running this race. Getting the Word out. Because the winds are blowing, the storm's about to come. There are signs. And we've been studying here in Matthew 24 some pretty obvious signs taking place that Jesus said would be taking place and increase the closer we get to His coming. Jesus wants us to know there's a time when these clouds are really going to come in, start to rolling in. There's going to be this intense storm, one that has never happened before or will ever happen again. And He told us again these things because He doesn't want us to be stuck in the storm. And I'd have to say, spiritually speaking, it's beginning to get real cloudy outside. And we're seeing the dark clouds come. And Well, what kind of clouds are rolling in spiritually? Well, we looked at a few of them over the last few weeks. Number one, there's a storm of religious deception moving in. Moving in now. I mean, we looked at that. We know that it's going to increase and increase in these last days. And it's going to get to the point where, where it'll reach its peak when a man of sin comes on the scene and, and uh, he makes a seven-year peace agreement with Israel. And everybody's going to look at this man, and we looked at this last Sunday, everybody's going to look at this man as this charismatic world leader. Man, what a great guy pushing peace, and it's just awesome, but he's actually the Antichrist. And we'll know that three and a half years into this great tribulation period, his true colors are going to come out, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, we looked at last week, will take place where the Antichrist will come in this newly rebuilt temple, demand to be worshipped as God in this temple. He's going to uh, you know, demand that you have a mark on your, your hand or your forehead, just pledging your allegiance to him. And anyone that's not going to receive that mark, he's going to try and put you to death. And this is all going to happen. We know this. We looked at this. It's a storm of religious deception. 
Jesus also said in verse 26, Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out, or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. No, people say, oh, this is the way to Jesus. This is the, the Christ consciousness. This is this. Don't believe it. We also know that there's going to be a storm of destruction heading this way. Look at verse back at verse 21 and 22 of Matthew 24. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time known or ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The storm of destruction coming our way, the great tribulation period. Man, the time is going to be so bad that if God doesn't step in, there'd be nothing left. Now again, Jesus is warning all of this to be prepared so that we don't have to be caught out in the storm. There's still a way out. There's, there's still time. If you simply put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Listen, just because we're living in the last days, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear the coming deception, the coming destruction. Why? Because we're going to have a great departure. And that's the third thing to look forward to. There's going to be a deception, there's going to be a destruction, but you can avoid it with, with a departure. Call it departure, call it a, a, a deliverance, a, a catching away. The rapture of the church were taken out of sight before the storm hits. As God personally evacuates us before it hits. He catches us up to, in, the, in the air to be with the Lord, so we'll ever be with the Lord. I think we're all familiar with the story of Noah. Now, God spared Noah and, and protected Noah and his family through the storm. And it really is a picture of the nation of Israel. But how many of us are familiar with a man named Enoch? Enoch really is a picture of the church. He's a man that walked with God. The Bible says in Genesis 5.24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I like that. He was walking with God, that he was gone. He was not. Why? Because God took him, raptured him out of there, right before the storm, right before the flood hit. God took him home. And that's what Jesus offers us today. A way out. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for no, by no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus offers a way out. He offers salvation. But if you choose not to go His way, not to go the only way, He is the way, the truth, and the life, then you will face judgment. Now this brings us to that judgment. Verse 27 and 28. Look at verse 27. We read, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will be eagles gathered together. Now look at how bad it's going to be. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I mean, isn't this amazing? He tells us exactly what's going to happen, what it's going to look like. He lays out for us the picture of the future. You know, yesterday we had a, a work day, I mentioned earlier, and it was a, a glorious day. I mean, it was blue sky, it was nice, it wasn't too hot, it was just beautiful. Now, I knew the weatherman predicted that at around 2 o'clock we were going to get some rain, and, uh, but we were able to get it all done and, and pretty much everything put away. And, but we prepared for it, and it was great. Now, as soon as I got home, and maybe you guys saw this too, I mean, all of a sudden the black clouds from the west started forming, and it got dark. 
I mean, really dark, dark in the house, and, and I'm going, oh man, until then, oh, just the downpour of rain came. Jesus is saying the same thing here. He's given us a spiritual forecast, and he's always right for the weatherman. He says, immediately after the tribulation period, it's going to get real dark. Sun's going to go out, the moon's going to not shine, the stars will be falling from the heavens, and, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then look at verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now notice the surety of these things that will take place. Jesus said in verse 30, the Son of Man will appear in heaven. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. He says they will see the Son of Man coming. He will send His angels and they will gather together His elect. He is promising these things will happen just as He says they will. This is the way it's going to go down. And as I said already, Jesus, when He predicts the weather, He's always right. Verse 31, And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The last Sunday we looked at that word elect. It can mean a few things. It can mean the church. It can mean Israel. It could also mean the tribulation saints. Those who came to the Lord during the great tribulation period. I believe, however, this is speaking to the nation of Israel. The Jewish people that would come to faith in, in Jesus during the tribulation period. We know through the father of faith, Abraham, as it began all the way back in the book of Genesis. Here it says he'll gather his elect together. The chosen one from the four winds. Now, the reason we're going over some of these same verses this morning as last week is because I want to give us four things to take note of, if you're taking notes this morning, concerning the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Four things concerning the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. First of all, number one, the second coming of Jesus Christ is prominent. It's prominent. What I mean by that is it's, it's second to none. I mean, the second coming is absolutely second to nothing. There's never been anything like it. When Jesus comes back, the lights are going to go out. It'll be unparalleled, uh, dominant display of the glory of God. It's going to be the main event. Anything we've seen in, in the heavens and the skies at this point pales in comparison to this event. I like what the old uh, hymn writer Horatio Spafford uh, says. He puts it so well in his song, It Is Well. And the Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. Second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be unparalleled. It's going to be unequal to any other event in history. And we know how it starts. It starts with a sign in the sky. Look again at verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So the second coming of Jesus Christ is, is, will absolutely be no surprise to anyone. Folks, listen, though this rapture that we just talked about, this catching up of the church, it's an unsuspected surprise. It happens in a day and an hour when we least expect it. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to ever be with the Lord. The second coming, however, it's not a surprise. It's been announced. We know when it's going to happen. We know the rapture, Jesus is coming for His church. The second coming, Jesus is coming with His church. Immediately after the seven year of the Great Tribulation, things will start happening up in space. 
And as we read this, I, I think, you know, I picture myself like a stage performer when you go to see a play or something and, and you're in that auditorium and all of a sudden all the lights go out. It's just black. And then just poof, one spotlight comes on. And that's what we see happening here. The entire planet Earth witnesses Jesus Christ standing up from the right hand of God the Father, receiving the title deed of the earth. He gets on his horse and comes back to claim what rightfully belongs to him. And everyone is going to watch and witness this most prominent of events. It will be spectacular. Not a single person on the planet is going to miss it. So number one, the second coming will be very prominent. Number two, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be precise. What I mean by that is it's going to happen exactly as Jesus says it's going to happen. Now we're told 325 times in the scriptures about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He wants us He wants to get the point across. In fact, for every one prophecy concerning his first arrival, we have eight concerning his second coming. And they are precise. In fact, turn with me now. Let me show you one. Turn with me now to the book of Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. It's the second to the last book of the Old Testament right before Malachi. Nothing wrong with using your, your table of contents. Zechariah chapter 14. It's there that we have a precise prophecy about the second coming of Jesus. Look at verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth. Catch this, this is the second coming. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. You know, the Iranians, the Syrians, the the Hamas, the Palestinians all have reasons for their hatred of America. And it's not because America is the big superpower. Their hatred stems from our support for Israel. Their hatred stems from our support for the Jewish people. But here in Zechariah, the Lord says that all the nations at this time are going to be coming against little old Israel. In fact, the only thing that's going to save them is that the Lord's going to fight on their behalf. That is at the second coming of Jesus. Look at verse 3 again of Zechariah 14. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Now look how he returns, how precise this is, what he says, verse 4. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. From east to west, making a very large valley, half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Now the reason I bring this section up is to give us a glimpse of where we're at as believers in all of this. Notice in verse 5. He says, Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Literally, we are coming back with the Lord. That's the role that each one of us have as believers, as the saints get to have in the return of Jesus Christ. I don't know where people get the idea that, that, that the church has got to go through the tribulation period. 
Because you can't, can't both be here and there and return with Him when He comes. I mean, the Bible here is saying quite clear here, we the saints, the church, are going to return with Him when He comes back. In other words, God's saying, don't worry about the storm that's coming. Just walk with me and I'll take care of you. Same thing He said to Lot. Remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, was about to be destroyed. Come walk with me. Get your family and get out of town. Don't look back. And unfortunately, His wife does and she becomes a salt shaker. But, but, but God gave the warning. And the storm still hit. Come walk with me. I'll bring you to safety. I'll take care of you. And that's exactly what the Lord says to us today. Before the storm hits, we need to find ourselves safely and secure in the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that we miss this storm. And secondly, so that we'll come back with Him when He reclaims this planet because it truly and rightfully belongs to Him. Now I love this. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Talk about precise. In Acts chapter 1, we find the same thing given to us precise again because God is being precise concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here in Acts chapter 1, we find that Jesus has died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the, from the dead. Uh, it, many witnesses have seen him. In fact, he's been showing up and then disappearing, showing up and disappearing. And I think he, he's done this over and over again to, to get the idea that, hey, you don't know when I can show up again at any moment. And we find here, I think he did with our first friend Thomas in John chapter 20 when he showed up and, and Thomas wasn't there. And that's where Thomas gets the, you know, the name Doubting Thomas because he says, you know, I don't believe you guys unless I, you know, put my hands in his side and, and see the, the scars on his hands. I will not believe. And, and, uh, and then Jesus all of a sudden shows up. No knock on the door. He just appears and, and he says, hey, Tommy, come over here. I got something I want to show you. And then put your hand in my side. Look at the nail prints. Thomas falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus disappears and he's gone just as fast as he came in there. Then all of a sudden we read that he shows up where he's walking on a road now with a couple of guys on the road to Emmaus. And these guys, they don't recognize who Jesus is. And Jesus comes and says, hey guys, what's going on? What do you mean, what's going on? Haven't you heard? Where have you been? They killed Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he, he died on the cross. He, he's gone. He's dead. And the Bible says that the stranger who we know from the stories of the Lord opened up the Scriptures. And, and, and each and every story starting with Abraham and Moses showed that everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And in fact, when they reached town, they were so excited about what they heard that you need to stay with us and, and, and eat with us. And, and so Jesus said, okay. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, they started eating. Jesus goes to break the bread and they go, it's Jesus. Poof, he's gone. Again, whoa. And then what is it? Didn't our hearts burn within us as he was talking with us? Oh, but he's coming again. Then we find ourselves on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples had been fishing all night long and not caught a thing, which, you know, it's funny, when you read through scriptures, a lot of times you read that over and over again, and you go, how good was their fishing business? But anyway, um, they hadn't caught a thing. Jesus shows up and, and, and he shouts out, hey guys, you know, uh, anybody hungry? Hungry, that's an understatement. Yeah, we're hungry, and come on, let's have breakfast together. Now Jesus is there on the shore, he's got breakfast for them. I'm thinking, man, what a breakfast that would be that Jesus prepared, prepared for. I mean, no doubt it was the best breakfast they had in their lives. I shared first service, man, it would be bacon and eggs. Well, maybe probably wouldn't be bacon, but for me that would be bacon, but it would be really, really good. <laughs> well, I think of the perfect breakfast, you know, that's what I think of. But 
But they recognized it was Jesus, and, and you know, he, and, and as quickly as he came, he was gone. Now, not knowing when he's going to show up, when he's going to leave again. This brings us back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look at verse 8. He shows up again this fourth time, and he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Do you know where that happened? Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It happened on the Mount of Olives, right where Jesus was right now in Matthew 24, sharing right where Zechariah said it was going to happen. You know, right now, today, I'm told there's a, a hotel on the Mount of Olives called the Intercontinental Hotel. Wouldn't be a bad place to hang out, but except a better place would be with the Lord in heaven, you know, I mean, than, than in, a, in a hotel there. Just to be so in love with the Lord and committed to Him and, and, and knowing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and know that no matter what storm comes our way, small or large, nothing's going to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And to know when that trumpet sounds, He has got a room prepared for you and for me, not in the intercontinental hotel on the Mount of Olives, but a mansion prepared for us in heaven. And that when he comes back, you and I are coming back with him. Riding back for a second coming that will not only be number one prominent, number two precise, but number three, the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to be powerful. It's going to be the most powerful display the world has ever seen. Listen, quite opposite to the way that he first came. The first way he came is an, an innocent baby there in a, born in a manger. Jesus showed, Jesus showed up the first arrival begging for a place where he could be born. No rooms available at the inn. And so, you know, he had to go out beyond the, behind the, the hotel, back in a barn to be born. First time Jesus came in humility. When he comes the second time, he'll come in power and glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time Jesus came unnoticed into the world, the second time every eye will see him. The first time Jesus came... Jesus endured the mockery of men who despised him for his goodness. Although he was and is the Son of God, he allowed them to put him to death that he might therefore provide salvation to the whole world. When he comes again, all mockery will cease because he will rule and reign the nations with a rod of iron. First time Jesus came as a Lamb of God, he will come a second time as a lion from the tribe of Judah. And when Jesus returns, he's going to return with all power. All the earth will witness it happening as if they've never seen anything else before. It's not going to be a couple of people, you know, oh, I think Jesus is in the Walmart parking lot over there. I think he's come back. Oh, Jesus has come back. I see his picture on, on this tortilla ship. No, that's not how it works. Every eye will see that it's Jesus. An awesome display of power that the world has never seen. It will be truly amazing. Do you know why? Because when he comes back the second time, he's coming to set things straight. He's coming to show who's really in charge. Let me tell you, Jesus has the power to back up what he promises. 
You know, I can make a promise, you can make a promise, and they're kind of conditional upon whether or not we have the power to perform those promises. Not Jesus. He is faithful to complete that which He has said. So, His second coming will be prominent, it will be precise, it will be powerful, and finally, number four, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be permanent. It will be permanent. We'll look at this closer next time together, but verse 35 of Matthew 24 says this. Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That tells me that Jesus' second coming will be permanent. Now for for some, those, those are the greatest words to hear. But to others that don't know the Lord, those are the scariest words to ever hear. Why? Well, because there are no second chances. Once Jesus Christ returns at the end of the age, that is it. In order for us to truly be blessed by that news, you know what has to happen? Those same four things that I've talked about already. The same four things about the second coming of Jesus Christ has to happen in our life personally. Jesus must be number one in our lives. He must be number one. He must be prominent in our lives. What has to happen is that this loving relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be the most prominent things in our lives. As prominent as His second coming will be is as prominent as His life and you and I must be today. He must take first place. Secondly, precise. You need to be precise about this. Not, oh, I think I'm a Christian. I, I think maybe I, I'm saved. No, you need to know that you know that you've come to the Lord. You've asked Him to forgive your sins and you need to be living for Him. You need to be precise. Number three, thirdly, power. That is, it's not in your talents and your power and your abilities that you're trusting in, but you're trusting in His power and His righteousness to save. And the power of the Holy Spirit working within our lives. And then number four, it's permanent. It permanently has come because there's been a permanent change in your priorities. There's been a permanent change in your life. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Listen, two more places I want you to turn to this morning and then we'll close and enter into a time of communion. Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 19. I'll give you a minute just to turn to the, both those places. Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 19. Daniel chapter 7 first, starting in verse 9. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks on Wednesday night. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 says this, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. Daniel says, I had this vision, I saw this, I watched as the thrones were put in place, the Ancient of Days were seated. It says, verse 9, His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Who do you think the thousands, thousands ministering to him is? That, I mean, that's not you and me, the saints, true believers that have, have claimed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, surrounding the throne of God. He goes on to say in verse 10 of chapter 7, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. Yeah, the devil is, is, is at it, but not for long. Look what happens next. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had the dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. 
I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's Jesus. He comes, watch in verse 13. He came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is where a big amen needs to come into play here. I mean, if it, it, it's the heart of the Lord that each and every one of us would be a part of this. Not only do we see this revelation from, uh, this vision from Daniel, but now finally, last place, turn to Revelation chapter 19, because the Apostle John also has a, a similar revelation, a similar vision. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. And here's how it all comes to an end. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God and the armies in heaven. The armies of heaven, who, who do you think they are? Well, the ten thousands times ten thousands in Daniel's vision. Now, some of us really need to get this picture out of our minds that all we're going to do in heaven is sit around on the clouds and play harps, you know. <laughs> no way. I don't even know how to play harp. But listen, there's going to be stuff for us to do. Again, look at verse 14. And the armies that have been clothed and fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So if you've never ridden a horse before, get ready. I mean, you get to ride a horse. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, a big Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming back soon. And I could say that for every second for the rest of my life, and it still would not be enough. Listen, our return, our excitement isn't in the return of the Lord our excitement is in the Lord that is returning. Because that's who we live for. And no one and nothing else is worth living for. That's why we can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The stage is set. The storm is approaching. Jesus is coming back. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. When every eye shall see him and, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to close now and enter in a time of communion. But before we do, the final big question is this. Are you ready for eternity? Have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? Have you had your sins forgiven? Someone posted this on social media yesterday. It caught my eye. We often hear life is short. Better enjoy it. How about eternity is long, better prepare for it. I like that. Listen, Jesus Christ is coming soon to judge the earth. It's getting really, really cloudy outside. Not just physically. A storm is brewing. Are you right with the Lord? Have you given your life to Him to be your Lord and as your Savior? Have you asked Him to forgive you of your sin? See, as we enter into this time of communion now, communion in and of itself, is a reminder uh, of the return of Jesus Christ. Because we're told to proclaim His death uh, by this means until He comes back again. It keeps us looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ when we will be with Him. It's a celebration of this present life, what He's done for us, 
and a reminder of his future uh, return and glory. When Christ comes back, we're, no, we're not going to be doing communion any longer. I mean, we, we don't have a need for it. We'll see him as he is. But until that day, he has given us this, this symbol, this picture to hold in our hands, this reminder to jog our memories. That special moment to come together and receive the broken bread and the fruit of the vine representing his body and his blood. But the Apostle Paul gives us a warning when it comes to communion. He says, when you come to the communion table and you receive these elements, do not do so in an unworthy manner or you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What, what does that mean? Well, don't come to the communion table. Ah, oh, just, oh, it's communion. Just, just a ceremony. You know, some people think, you know, that they come to it ritualistically, that, like the communion table. If I do this for God, then, then I get a brownie point here or there, you know. But actually, actually, if you don't know the one to whom this represents, and you should not come to this table at all. Communion is for believers. For the man or the woman or the child that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you don't know the Lord, and you're still not willing to give your life to the Lord, and as we pass out the, the juice and, and the bread and the juice, let the, the trade just pass by you. Now, the better solution to that would be to, to give and give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Receive the forgiveness that, that He has for you. Now, let me speak to us that, that know the Lord. Paul adds that when it comes to the communion table, we need to examine ourselves. Now, sometimes, before we go out, sometimes we want to check ourselves in the mirror, make everything good to go. You know, maybe you've had an afternoon lunch and, you know, you run to the bathroom and you see you got, you know, I don't know, pasta sauce all over your face and your cheek and you're wondering why everybody was laughing at you at lunch and you had no clue. And you go, oh, that's on my face. I don't like that. And so, get it wiped off. You go, I don't like the way that looks. That's ugly. You know, I need to fix that right now. In the same way, spiritually speaking, we can come to the Lord's table and we need to examine our hearts. Am I right with you, God? Am I where I need to be spiritually? Or to put it another way, is there anything I'm doing right now that I would be ashamed to be doing if Christ were to come back right today for His church? If so, that I need to repent. I need to turn from that and turn to the Lord. Again, if you don't already know the Lord, you're going to want to make sure that you do. And if you do, allow Him to examine our hearts. Let Him show us if there's something there that we need to repent of. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. This opportunity to look back and remember, Jesus, what you did for us upon the cross. Dying for each one of us. Rising again from the dead. To offer to us the forgiveness of our sins. Complete forgiveness of our sins. New life upon this earth, but also the promise of heaven. The hope to be with you for all eternity. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that, that up until this point, they don't have that hope. They're not born again. They don't know you this morning. I pray, Lord, that this morning, now would be the time for their salvation. Now come to know you as their Lord and as their Savior. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning, you don't know the Lord, but you want to this morning? You want to be saved. You want to be born again today. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord. I want you to make sure that you know that you know that you're saved, that you're born again. Did you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today? Anybody at all, just raise your hand so I could pray for you. Father, we thank you.
Lord, that we know you, that when you come back for your church, we will be there with you. And when you come back in the end, we will be with you. We will be with you for eternity. And what a joy that is. And now as we come to the communion table, Lord, prepare our hearts, show our hearts. If there's anything in there that we need to turn from, that we would be ashamed at your coming, Lord, help us to get rid of it. Confess it before you. Bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.